Anyways, um, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. If you are returning, this one might get a couple more or a couple new listeners. So uh, appreciate you if you are new. Thanks for giving me the uh, time and the listen. Um, my name is Devin Patterson. I'm the host of the Blue Tail Bowhunters podcast um, and the kind of leader uh, BTBH. So in here today, I have a special guest. Um, this is a gentleman who I uh, kind of rolled across looking for some new hunting products and um, some of the stuff started really sticking out to me. And then the price really stuck out to me like, holy fuck, I'm not going to do that. But um, after further consideration, started looking into it more and started buying his products and have been just absolutely um, over pleased if that's a, a, a good way to put it. So um, without further ado, Tyler Kath from TNK Hunting Gear. What's up? <clears throat> How's it going, man? Thanks for having me on. And, um, you know, we hear that a lot as far as guys undecided if they want to pull the trigger or not based on the price and stuff like that. But we do get a lot of that end state, um, you know, remarks of, hey, they were, you know, it was worth the money. They were glad they did it and stuff like that. And it's happy for us because, you know, the last thing you want to do is provide a product that's priced high and then people get in, they, open the box and they're like this thing's a piece of shit why did i get a thousand percent so i mean it's uh it's good to hear hear you say that so means we're doing yeah you are doing something right and and we'll dive in deeper to that um but first of all i wanted to congratulate you on two things uh first of all your your crazy amount of success over the last couple of years um that speaks volumes for the products that you are putting out um but second most um and you'll learn that i'm a huge smart ass so Second most is um, I know I've I've heard um, heard you on a lot of podcasts, um, you know WCB guys, uh, Nine Finger, a, a lot of those bigger ones. But I do want to congratulate you on finally making it to that top tier and getting on the BTBH podcast with me. Um, you know, all all fourteen of my listeners, eleven of which came whenever they researched Tyler Kath, uh, are, are really appreciative of you making it on here. So congratulations! Well, thanks, man. I I was. Uh my my business career is now complete now that i've made it on this podcast 100 if you're not having uh, the paparazzi knocking on your door yet yeah it's coming i i hope i just make a ton of money off of this but we'll we'll see how it you'll goes you'll make enough money that you'll be able to get out of that closet <laughs> yeah. yeah the uh it was funny I'm just talking to you earlier but anybody listening is as i'm currently in our uh utility closet um, it's kind of good because we are extending into the other part of the building here, probably beginning of the fall. We've already signed the lease on it. We've got it. We're just waiting for them to move out. They're waiting on another building. And uh, I'll actually have an office, which would be nice because usually I'm conducting uh, interviews in a literally utility closet where Bob's usually go. So, I mean, it's, but it, I mean, it's, it's T and K man. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's who it's just, you know, if you know anything about us, you would see this and be like, yeah, that's just how they do shit. You know, it's for sure. Put off small and you know, we don't have a, we don't have big financial backers or anything like that. So, I mean, we've, we started this on a $10,000 loan and now we just, you know, we graduated to go getting on your podcast and hopefully now getting out of the, uh, the utility closet so um big big things are happening around big here. goals are being accomplished man yeah so you know well, can't yeah you're making it in the big leagues so um staying on that like 
that podcast topic, obviously you've done quite a few. Um, so to one, save you time and two, to be a little bit different and not be, um, completely cliche and like, Hey, tell me the whole story about Tyler Kath. Give me the spark notes version for anybody that doesn't know who Tyler is and what TNK is. Um, and, and just kind of real quick. Yep. So born and raised in Rapid City, South Dakota, um, served four years in the Marine Corps Infantry, did two deployments to Helmand Province, Afghanistan. Um, after I got back, I worked one year in corrections. Um, after that, worked private military for a little bit overseas in Afghanistan through the Department of State. And then uh, most currently, before I uh, started this business, I was a law enforcement officer for five years here in Rapid City. And uh, went to school for a little bit for aeronautical science. I have my private pilot license, but I was going to actually be a commercial airline pilot at one point. I've done all kinds of crazy, weird shit. I, I think I'm like one of those guys that, you know, it's like, hey, that's cool. I haven't done that before, so let me try that. And, and then I, like, once I accomplish something there, then it's on to the next thing. But um, I've been running TNK. Um, started in 2018 when I was still a law enforcement officer, and um, here we are. I've got nine employees. Um, we're getting into some big retail stores, um, you know, doing a lot of retail now, and then um, we're hoping we're extending into this building here, but hoping to keep hiring more people. I mean, we're just going to keep going, and we rely heavily on the the patriotic American. I mean, that's who I am, and um, I take a lot of pride in using USA materials and then using local citizens right here in our community to make this stuff so i mean it's uh that's pretty much the short synopsis of of kind of who i am my career path um i'm sure we can get into the sobriety type portion of stuff as well as you know as far as um you know being a military veteran and then a you know a first responder as well former first responder and then um yeah that's kind of uh my days are just kind of um i kind of lose track i don't even you know some days i forget how old i am because it's just we're kind of you know when you run a business you're kind of doing the same thing in and out you know sure. day, day um kind of everything kind of fogs together but um no i enjoy it you know I, I love being a business owner it's definitely a new type of stress compared to being a first responder or, you know being in the military but it's still got its stressors but uh yeah, that's kind of the short Spark Notes version of who I am and what what the company is. For sure. Yeah. So, um, and and definitely want to get to like the uh, military, then law enforcement, and the sobriety and all that stuff because um, you got something coming up new. But before we get into all that, I do want to touch a few uh, on a few things as far as the gear. Um, I do like my one question is knowing that you were in the military. And then you um, got out and got into law enforcement. You know as well as I do that any any guy or girl in that uh, either of those professions, we like really nice, shiny, cool new gear. So, uh, why did you choose to specifically go after hunting gear as opposed to making you know uh, gear for law enforcement or military? Because it's very similar in the stuff that you make. Yeah. Um... Personally, I think it was really when I was doing a lot of research. I mean, I've always been a hunter. Um, and of course, I've used lots of gear in the past in all of my professions. But the biggest thing 
um, was just kind of the oversaturation of the market. Um, I didn't see a huge market that had a lot of USA made hunting gear. Um, you know, there's only a few companies that are doing what we do. I mean, sure. Kafar, your big one. Um, but it's not, there's not a lot of US companies doing um, hunting gear type based stuff. I also saw the, uh, you know, the, um, the benefits of, of a lot of the tactical modular type side of, of a lot of the gear that I've used, implementing that into the hunting gear side. Um, when I first started, there just wasn't a lot of that out there. A lot of the modular type gear using PALS and, and a Molly system, similar to what you use in law enforcement and in the military. So that's kind of what got my interest is, is I was kind of looking and there's a lot of tactical gear companies, you know, tactical tailor and um, some different companies that are doing things, I think the right way making it, you know, in the United States and they do a lot of your SWAT, SRT, military, law enforcement, um, in general type stuff. And, you know, I thought that there was a pretty big market for play carriers and, you know, a lot of the tactical type stuff. And that's kind of when I started um, kind of looking at intermixing the two um, of bringing more of what the military has done since the nine systems and bringing it more into the hunting community. Um, I saw a lack of that. I mean, like I said, there's only a few companies doing it. I think you're going to see more companies doing it in the future as far as um, being able to, you know, backpack or a bino harness or a chest rig where you can take things on, you know, put things on, take things off and kind of make a system that suits you as a hunter, um, kind of similar as into a law enforcement officer or a military member. So um, that's kind of really why I kind of focused on on hunting stuff because I just didn't see a lot of it out there. You go into Cabela's um, and a lot of these big box stores, um, I wish they carried more hunting products that were made in the USA, but there's just not a ton out there. Sure. You know, uh, it's a lot of overseas made stuff. So that's kind of what I wanted to bring into the hunting community was more of, um, you know, targeting that type of aspect with it so for sure so um how much hunting i mean do you even get to do now as um a business owner and you get to try out your own products very often uh, oh yeah I'm, i i test our own products um i've got other folks that do a lot of testing give me a lot of feedback too and then of course um you're always you may think you've got a product figured out, it's tested, the durability is there, the functionality is there, the comfort's there. Um, and then you're going to continually have to innovate that product over the years. I mean, you're going to have suggestions all the time where you're going to make changes to the product. So, I mean, when I release a product even uh, to the consumer, yeah, it's it's as, as good as we can make it for now. But a lot of the changes in the innovation and really the evolution, I should say, of that product come over years and years and years of just consumer feedback. Sure. And uh, what what's nice about us is that we make a lot of changes based on what our consumers say. A lot of companies will just say, hey, there's your product, take it or leave it. You know what I mean? Um, with us, it's always kind of continually to make the product better. So a lot of our existing products like our Bino Harness, from what it was a year ago is completely different. You know what I mean? Like just right. has so many different changes to it. 
So I think that's important too to know about us is that we're continually trying to build onto a product and make it better. But to go back to your question, I don't get to do a lot of hunting. Um, I try to make time. The only tag I filled this year was an antelope tag. I had deer tags. I've got a mountain lion tag right now. And, uh, but we've been busy with this pack build. And of course, I've got to be there to make sure that things are going right. Changes are being made because we make changes on the fly a lot. Um, and then we're right now, now that it's not hunting season, it's time to really develop a lot of products too. You know what I mean? Not sure. just field testing, but actually getting the the poster board and the pencil and the ruler out and actually designing these products and making them right. The APAC, we've sewn it probably 10 to 15 times before we actually got a final version. So we've sewn this thing a lot, a lot, a lot and had to do a bunch of, you know, weight um, comparisons with different weights in there and figuring out the best comfort level and the best way to fit all these different frames of people. I mean, that's the challenge too. You know, you've got a six foot five person, then you've got a five foot two person, and then you've got, you know, all these different weights in between and body structures. So we've, we've tried to do the best we can to make it as universal as possible, but um, it, that takes up a lot of my time um, as far as it's a lot of office stuff, you know, cutting things down and sewing it and, you know, lengthening it. I mean, it's just, it's a product development is just horrible, dude. It's a, it's a pain in the ass. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, it is enjoyable because it kind of gets your creative juices flowing. But um, I would say this next year, I'm probably going to be doing more hunting. I'm going to be going down to Colorado for an elk hunt. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be doing some more stuff now that I've got more, you know, I'm hiring more people and they're gaining more, um, you know, experience. Um, it makes it easier for me to, to go out and do some of that stuff that I want to do. Uh, cause hunting is definitely something I enjoy, but it's just right now, something I just don't get to do very often. I mean, we're a three-year company, so we're very still in the toddler stages of, you know what I mean? Of being a, a, you know a company sure. so, um but yeah i i still well, get the goal is to, to start that company but sorry we have a little sorry we got a little delay or something um but that's i mean that's the goal of the company or a company when you start one is hopefully grind for a couple of years and train people to to figure it out that way you can kind of sit back and enjoy the products or whatever um yeah. and do your thing while whilst while your company is still still going so it's cool yeah exactly so yeah, that's kind of the plan now. So, I mean, it's still in just those stages. I mean, we're getting a lot of the crew, you know, they're going with the products and they're they're doing good. But, yeah, it's just we're never going to be a company that just stops innovating or stops making, you know, products. I mean, we're going to continually, you know, find what products are selling, what products people need, innovating. I mean, and maybe not necessarily innovating, but making new products making existing products that are in the industry, making them better. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's always going to be work. I mean, it's never going to be like, Hey, this is your smoking gun. This is the one product. Oh, we're good now. You know what I mean? It's we, we sure. yeah. continue to make uh, new products and develop new things because um, or else you kind of just kind of wither away, you know, that's right. really your growth kind of depends on it. So, for sure. Well, before we start talking about some of those new things, if you want to, 
Um, yep. I would like to touch back um, on the products that's one that I've gotten and found to be awesome. Um, the uh, So I have a bow sling, I have a bino harness and dog collar that I use actually for my canine partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, overbuilt is fantastic. Um, but back again, just kind of leading up to it, um, I started kind of hunting more public land the last couple of years. And I, I noticed I was carrying my bow in my hand a lot and I'm not trying to be a pussy or anything, but like my arm would get tired. So I went with one of my buddies and he had a, a shitty bow sling and I could kind of tell it was just kind of tearing apart. And I'm like, man, that, that thing probably, uh, probably is not going to last much longer. And I'm assuming he bought it that year. So I started really looking and I'm like, man, it was 140, I think for, for the sling. I'm like, man, that's, I don't know. I'll try it out. It's a buy once, cry once thing. Lifetime warranty. I'll try it out. And dude, the thing is, is nuts. I mean, I couldn't tear it up if I tried. It's been through all kinds of shit um, to include turkey hunting. Um, when I forgot my seat, so I used it as like my knee pads. Like I'm just tearing this thing up and just overbuilt. So um, thank you for making a product that actually freaking lasts. Of course, man. That's we get a lot of that with our bow slings, and I mean with everything generally that we build. But bow slings, bow slings especially, because there is, I mean, you're not going to find a tougher sling on the market. I mean, it just no. doesn't. We make, I mean, our bow sling is, as you know, um, it, <laughs> it's going to be hard to break that thing. Like it's going to be sure. tough. I mean, you're going to have to um, intentionally do something to that thing to break, but. Yes. There's a lot of slings out there that are like elastic and just they get loose. And they're just made with cheap, shitty material. And of course, you yep. know, people say, well, it's $30 bow sling. I'm like, well, that's what you're going to get, man. You're going to get a $30 bow sling. Yeah. And, and um, similar to the bino harness, because I went with a cheaper option my first season that I got binos. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to put anybody else's product out on blast. But at the end of the season, after just one season, the elastic was stretching and it wasn't even fitting in there the same way. So I'm like, do I every year, do I keep buying a $30 um, product or do I buy once that's going to last me forever? That's a little bit more. And I mean, you get, you start thinking like I'm, I plan on hunting for the rest of my life, whether that's short yeah. or long, but it could potentially be, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever um, of hunting. So why not buy something that's going to last that time? Exactly. And then if you look at the long-term investment in it, um, it's actually very cheap investment. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, we, we make this comparison a lot of the time too, because, you know, you can go out to a steak dinner and spend 130, 140 bucks easily For sure. you know, in a family or four or five. And uh, people do that on the drop of the dime. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. well, you know, this is a, a product and you only have to buy it once. You know, which is tough for us because now, you know, there's a lot of companies that make products intentionally shitty so yes. that you buying them. You know what I mean? Right. And for us, it's a little downfall because it's like once we've got you on that binars, well, shit, now we're done. Now we've got to make all these other different products for you to buy. You know what I mean? To keep that, you know, keep that return. On that, I'm glad you said that because I don't remember if it was one of my podcast episodes or if it was just me talking on Instagram or something, but I was being a huge smart ass and I'm like, uh, T and K is never going to last because they make me a product and it's never going to freaking fail. So I can never buy it again. So I'm like, there's only so many customers that are going to do it. I was like, his business, it's going to tank just being a huge <laughs> smart ass. But just well, like you said, man, 
because it, I mean, it is true after a while when you, when you start building that stuff, that's going to last a long time. You know what I mean? Your return customer rate is obviously going to be low. Well, return customer rate until you continue to develop products sure. and then those customers come back, but it's the same sense, you know, you know, some of these companies haven't figured out. They're like, well, I'm just going to make something garbage because they're going to break and they're going to come right back. Well, people are starting to learn because yeah. they're not going back to those products. They're like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go to this product now. So and now you not only make a shitty product, but now you're, now you're definitely not getting that return customer. And now all the other products that you make, they're not going to buy because they know that piece of gear they got was a piece of shit. So now they're not going to buy, they're not going to buy anything else you make because they know what they're going to get. They're going to absolutely get the crap. So with us, it's different because, you know, we get guys that, you know, um, and our stuff's more high end, but they're more prone to spend that money and buy new products that we come out with because they know what they're going to get. They know, they oh, don't yeah. do wonder god i wonder if this is going to be worth it they know it's going to be worth it because they've got all of our other you know and we're not we're not going to ever spend a a shitty piece of gear that we're not that i'm not satisfied with i mean it's got to come through me and it's my name on that product you know what i mean so i don't sit here and think oh man that okay now we've got them you know now they know the brand's good so now let's let's go with cheaper materials and cheaper you know that's just not how i how i work yep so man apple's like huge on that it's like as soon as their iphone oh yeah. we got another delay you got yeah, go you with me yeah as soon as the new iphone comes out all the old ones start shitting out randomly it's like yeah. they got it figured out man yeah do yeah. you know the other thing that i wanted to, to really um highlight is and you touched on it a little bit is listening to your own customers and and developing different products. I've messaged TNK Hunting Gear on Instagram multiple times, and every time you're the one that is the one that's uh, replying. I assume, um, but I believe it's you, and um, you know, really helping me through. I'm sure you get a million of questions, the same damn questions every day, but you're still you're more than willing to to um, help me out. And any any like sizing was a big thing because I always fuck something up, so I want to make sure I wasn't fucking anything up. But like yeah. you're there, like it's you, and you're really listening to your own customers, and I think that's huge, and it's a huge part of why you're you're blowing up as as much as you guys are. Yeah, for sure. I think you know it is me. I do have a marketing girl now that does help with some messages and stuff, but I she mostly does Facebook, a lot of Facebook, and then the uh, the chat on the website. I'll go on there and dabble with some stuff too, but then I'll kind of do Instagram. And then plus, people have my phone number, my personal phone numbers on the website. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the bigger we get and the busier we get, of course, I need help. You know what I mean? I can't for sure. be doing it, but I, I do, you know, there's a reason I put my, you know, the owner phone number on there. Cause if you were to call, um, my customer service girl and she doesn't help you or pisses you off, I want you to talk to me. You know what sure. I mean? I don't want to say, well, you know, fuck T and K I'm never going to, you know, I don't want to deal with them ever again. You know, I want you to call me and say, Hey. I had this issue, you know, blah, 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 or whatever it is. So I'm always, regardless of how big we, we get, my phone number is always going to be on the website. I'm always going to be, because what's the biggest complaint you have with a company is that, okay, maybe you contact customer service and they don't give a shit about your problem. Well, I want to talk to somebody like the big dog, you know what I mean? Right. Somebody, that really, you know, 
is going to give me a legitimate answer and stuff. And, and I think that's always frustrating for me because, you know, yeah, I want you to go through customer service if we have customer service people, but if you're not getting your, the service that you think you deserve, I'm a phone call away, regardless. Sure. Of how. And I think that's important. You know what I mean? I think it's that's important to always be that person that's, you know, because I, I'm going to care about this company more than anybody that's in this company. Right. It's my company. You know what I mean? I, I started this out of my apartment. Um, so it's, I'm always going to be the one that, you know, cares more than anybody, of course, you know, but, um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's definitely important because, you know, I, I see it so many, many times this year. I mean, I, I message companies and I don't even get a response sure. 90% of the time where I'm just like, you know, and I've always told even my customer service gal that I hire, I said, no matter what, no matter what happens or what questions asked or how worthless you think that message is, respond. Always yep. respond. You know, um, I'm not saying sit there and have a conversation. You know, there's some people that just like ask stupid shit, you know, just answer the question, but, but like answer their question, answer their, their, you know, their, their concern because that is so important to me because uh, you know companies these days that don't even respond to your emails or anything like that there's nothing worse to me personally than just not even acknowledging somebody right you yeah. know like even said, the assholes on facebook that you call out which is fucking yeah. hilarious <laughs> well i haven't i haven't had to deal with that in a very long time because people stop talking shit because i think yeah. you know um it you know the hunting industry is very small. So if I call you out, um, chances are your buddy or your coworker follows us yep. or, or knows about us or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, we had an air force guy that was being, but we called him out. Well, little did he know there's people in his unit that actually follow us. And, uh, yeah, dude, he, he got shit all day at oh, the work. Got called out by TK and he was like, all red and embarrassed. And it's like, well, you know, it's a small, especially the veteran community and the law enforcement community, dude, it's smaller than you think, yeah. you know, what I mean? especially online. I mean, it's chances are, you know, if you're a law enforcement officer, firefighter, military member, chances are somebody knows who you are on the internet. For sure. Yeah. Definitely other companies, they know who you are. They know the unit. Maybe they have friends in that unit, like, you know what I mean? Well, it's and as you know, you, you make a, a good product like that. Like you build a following and those people will go to bat for you. Like at the drop of a dime, they don't give a shit. They go to hell. I mean, I had, you know, one guy um, that was just being a prick and I, you know, I called him out and he was pissed off because people were messaging him and, <laughs> and pretty much telling him, fuck off. You've never tried yeah. this product. <laughs> Dude, I said, it's the internet, man. It's, a, it's once you post that message, you post, post that message on a public forum, it's not defamation. It's not anything like that. They can hold you accountable. Just like when you're a law enforcement officer, what you say on your personal Facebook, you can be held accountable for. 100%. That's, that's, the, way of the, that's the way of life, man. And so I tell people all the time, I said, you're going to be held accountable for what you say and do in life that's just 100 percent the truth what you post online and what you do in real life you're held accountable for and a lot of these guys for haven't sure. 
You know what I mean? They happen. So, you know, when you're a dick to me or a dick to our company, it's a slap in the face to me, my employees and and the people that purchase for me and I'm not going to take it. So they learn real fast that, you know, Hey, this is not a company that's just going to sit there and be like, Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. You feel that way. Like we'll we'll send you a free, free sticker. Yeah. The woke bullshit. Like I'm not doing that crap. You know what I mean? Like it is what it is. I mean, you, if you don't like what I have to say, or you don't like the way I'm talking because you're being, and I, like I've said before to people, I'm like, I've never gone on my way to be a dick to somebody. I haven't right. never no. running this company. It's always been somebody that's con- came on and personally attacked this company. And then I'm like, okay, well, two can play that game. Yeah. You're not going to win. You know what I mean? It's just, no. it's not going to happen. So, I mean, we, you know, I, I'm one of those guys to where I'm like an eye for an eye, dude. And that's how it is. That's how I, I love it. That's how I operate in life. You know, I, I love it. I love it. Most respect. As long as you show me respect, but, um, it doesn't go just one way. It's, it's absolutely. A- and that's, man, that's something that is huge that I deal with or that, that, um, I think about all the time is, you know, I, <clears throat> on the job, I, you were met with the same amount of respect that you give. So you want to start off being a dick. I'll tell I'll as soon as I start talking to people and there's their dick, Hey, you want to be a dickhead? I can play that game. Let's go. And then, but they calm down or you're met with some asshole that's being super respectful. Hey, I got no reason to be disrespectful to you. Like, let's figure this out. So it's huge. It's like escalation of force, man. It's like the, uh, you know, it, that's what it is. It's like, I'll meet you on the level you're at. Just, right. just like use of force you know what i mean it's the same thing yep. you know what i mean if you're gonna go over here then i'm gonna be up here <laughs> not gonna be good you know what i mean like now if, if you treat i mean and, and that's where you know we look at law enforcement videos that i see get posted online a lot that is the common misconception in every video i watch it's always the action of this criminal that dictates this negative outcome you know what I mean? What, sure. what the law enforcement officer did was right or wrong. I mean, I, you know, I, I can, you know, there's many cops that are not, that don't do the right thing in situations. For sure. So we could go on and on about that, but it's the same thing. What led up to that situation? It a yep. hundred times out of a hundred, every video I've seen, it's a suspect not doing something that they could have easily done. Very good been calm they could have been compliant um now now don't get me wrong you know you, you talk about in law enforcement not to say that oh oh because he did that resisted arrest he deserved to die no i'm not saying that right. but i'm also saying that whole situation would have never went down if that person would have just been cool calm and collective and just been non-resistant just done what he was told and that law enforcement probably would have met him with the same amount of things you know yeah, what i mean so that, you know and, and you run into that like the <clears throat> woke community whatever they, they don't realize that the way that our judicial system is set up is that you fight that in court but you're yeah. you're also all the most of these videos are not with uh law-abiding citizens they don't want their day in court they don't want to fight for their day in court they just nope. want to try to get away um yeah. 
So then you have have this, but that's why the court system's set up. That's why the attorneys get paid a lot of money, and, and there's judges like m- whether you agree with the judicial system or not. Um, you know, that's what it's there for. It's not to fight your battles on the street, man. Just simple stuff, man. We could go all day about that. Well, yeah, it's 100% not to fight your battles on the street. And right, uh, and like I said, has, has there been somebody that's been wrote a ticket that was it was not justified? Of course, there has. Oh, yeah, and people that have gone to prison that were innocent. Right. You know, nobody's saying that, but the best outcome is is you to fight it in court. Like you said, that is how the judicial system is 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 taken up. And you know, when I was in law enforcement, I'd tell people that all the time. I said, "You may not agree with this DUI that you're getting. I have enough probable cause to make an arrest. I'm not saying you're guilty. I'm just saying I have enough problem. That's what it is. It's probable cause. It's not absolute guilt. You know what right. I mean." not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt you know what i mean that that is when you go to court and a judge Mm -hmm. says you're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt here's 30 days in jail now it's not probable cause anymore it's like you're guilty right um there's no there's hardly any doubt there but people don't realize that that law enforcements are going off of um the laws that they're that they're you know that protect them that have probable cause you know what i mean um if it walks like a duck like a duck more than likely it's a duck but it's not absolute likely um but i mean that's people just don't understand the 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 process of things um and the media and everybody else doesn't do a very good job of explaining why law enforcement's have you know law enforcement officers have these um these type of arrest powers based off of things because it's, you know, we don't conduct court in the street. That's not where it's conducted, you know? Um, But uh, I feel bad. I mean, law enforcement officer, I mean, it's definitely going to get harder and harder to find good cops. Um, If you were going to a high school, right? Like you raise a hand, who wants to be a cop here? Based of media and the news and everything. I mean, fuck. To be honest. Yeah. To be honest, the ones that do lift their hands, I got to, I, I, don't know that i can even trust them like exactly you guys you got something wrong with you yeah yeah i want to be yeah i mean it's it's dude it's a i might be losing you a little bit yeah, it's definitely go. a difficult profession and i think just a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is and i mean yeah you've got to make um you've got to make decisions on a split second and you've got to know you know um, and that's where good training comes in and, and experience, but also just education. And, and I think you look at the downfall in the pit of law enforcement these days, you're going to start getting a lot of cops that I think the opposite effect is going to happen is that departments are going to be forced to expedite training or they're going to be right. forced to take people that they normally wouldn't take in the hiring process. For sure. You're going to actually have worse results. I mean, the worst, you know, um, I think it's going to be the complete opposite of what they're trying to do as a police reform. Well, you know, are you going to get those good candidates that are smart, intelligent, and uh, well-trained? Probably not, you know, um, because nobody's going to want to be a cop, you know? So, Well, here's here's something that I do, I have noticed, um, is that I have not seen many videos go viral ever since the election was done. If that's not enough proof that yep. that election, and I'm not trying to get political or anything. Yep. Um, if that's not enough proof though, that that was 
obviously on purpose during the election. As soon as the election was over, you saw maybe one or two um, big videos, viral videos of a questionable shooting or whatever, but then it just completely stopped. And now you almost don't even see it unless you search for it. Whereas it was, the media was just fucking throwing it everywhere in your face. Constant. I mean, I haven't seen Black Lives Matter in the news since Biden got into presidency. Exactly. So did all of these just unjust things just stop? I, I can tell you right now that there's you still know, a lot of bad police officers out there making bad judgment calls and 100%. fucking up. But 100 percent seeing them. But yeah, that just shows you that um, the media, it's scary. It just says that they control a majority of voters. I yeah. mean, they control who people vote for because that's where people gain their information is from the media. So the media, whatever narrative they want to push is what they're going to push and it doesn't really matter if it's true or false these days which i have seen kyle rittenhouse um is suing these people for for basically you know um in defamation which i love i love seeing because somebody i mean has to hold these these media outlets accountable um you know because they basically persecuted rittenhouse before it even fucking was even in the beginning stages sure. of a court trial, um, jury trial, right? Not court trial, but jury trial. And so, it's interesting to see how, you know, if if the media is learning something from this, that hey, you know, um, you know, let's not really report on anything until the facts are known. You I don't know, think I don't think things are going to change because they still got clicks. They're they don't give a shit about the truth. They they want the clicks. I I don't. They're making so much. I think they give a shit about what Rittenhouse sues them for. Exactly. They'll settle for a million bucks and fucking oh well. These are billion dollar corporations, yeah. man. Fox yeah, News made a lot of money. Billion billion dollar corporation. Million dollars is like taking ten dollars out and fuck here you go. Yeah. Uh, I, we don't apologize. Yeah, we're just fucking. We just don't want to freaking go to court anymore. It's not that we can't afford it. We just right. don't get. It. That's how yeah, it is. We don't. We don't really care. They don't care, man. Before we before we spiral too far into politics, yeah. that's this is the reason why I sit in a tree for a lot of hours a year. Yeah, but but let's stay on the topic of police force, yeah. um, or you know at least um, all that stuff. So you know a huge reason, like I kind of alluded to, um, of why I hunt and why I wanted to start this podcast was the mental health aspect. Um, mm-hmm. Of not just, I mean, mental health is a huge issue in the civilian population but it's also a, a very huge issue in the military population and first responder population. Um, and a lot of those mix. Um, so you have been, honestly, I wanted to do this podcast a while back um, because I noticed that you would kind of post it a few times about some struggles. However, I wasn't sure how deep you really wanted to get into it and we don't even have to get deep, but I didn't know if you wanted to talk about it at all. And it's such a touchy topic especially with military. I've not been there. I was, I was, a, I was too much of a pussy to go, honestly. Um, and there's still that piece of me that, that will always feel that way. Um, so it's hard for somebody like me who didn't go to the military to ask somebody who did go to the military, Hey, why do you struggle? What, what things did you go through and stuff like that? So I really held off on really pulling the trigger on getting you on this until I saw your recent post. So obviously I'd love for you to talk about that. Um, and then as, as much of the mental health stuff and the addiction and the struggle that, that you wish to share. Yeah. So, I mean, 
really starting off, I mean, it kind of started in the military. Of course, I was infantry. Um, without going into too much detail, I did two deployments to Afghanistan as an infantryman. That should tell you enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, I'm not here to tell war stories or anything like that. But um, I didn't really start noticing until after my deployments um, that I started kind of drinking heavily. Now, um, it was one of those things to where, of course, I was a Marine. You know what I mean? What do Marines do? <laughs> it's the off time. You know, you're drinking, running around with girls. I mean, that's just, you know, you're young um, military member. And that's just kind of what we did being, you know, especially stationed in California. And um, for me, I didn't really notice that. I didn't really notice much after my deployments. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, right. nothing really bothered me per se, I shouldn't say, you know what I mean? Cause it didn't really start off with that. And that's kind of the common misconception with PTSD, as far as, you know, mixed in with anxiety and depression is that it may not hit for 20 years. You know what I mean? It's one of those things to where uh, back in World War II, they call it shell shock, right? Because um, there was no explanation for it. Right. But they didn't really talk about it. And still, even when I was in the military, it was never really talked about. It was like one of those bad juju words, like, you don't talk about it. You don't think about it. Like, it's just like, it's whatever, right? Man up and deal with it yourself. Yeah, Exactly. And so for me, and I was always that Marine. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, I was the tough team leader and PTSD's bullshit. Like, you know, just quit being a pussy, suck it up, blah, 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 blah. And so that's, that was my conception. You know, that was my um, view of it when I was young, when I was 21, 22 years old was, yeah, suck it up, you know, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't, you know, because I didn't really know how it was affecting me. You know, I just didn't really understand. Well, um, after I got back and got out of the military, that's when I really started to notice that my drinking was getting progressively worse, especially when I got out of the military. I just found myself always drinking, like, in order to be happy and just, like, Honestly, to be happy, man, I had to drink. Like, if I didn't drink, I was just super depressed. You know, life just kind of was like, you know what I mean? I, right. It just gave me any type of fulfillment. The only time I got it is when I was drinking. Mm -hmm. um, so I found myself drinking all the time um, and just making poor financial decisions, poor relationship decisions, and just... Um, just really, that was kind of the beginning of the full-blown alcoholic stage. And I was bouncing in Denver after the military. And uh, it got bad enough to where, you know, you probably saw in that post that, you know, my dad had to come pick me up in Denver, take me back to South Dakota. I was 22 years old. Um, and uh, for me, that's kind of when, you know, I got hired doing corrections. Um, and it... it I still didn't really see it as a problem, my drinking, you know what I mean? It was still just, I didn't feel like I had depression or anxiety or PTSD or anything like that. But then again, like I was drinking all the time. So like, right. you know, I was numbing out all the time. So of course nothing was affecting me because I was drinking all the time. Um, and I was still young enough to where mentally, like, you know, hangovers didn't hit me as bad. You know mm. what I mean? Like it wasn't, you know, I could kind of push through some of that stuff because I was young. 
um, it was easier to recover than later in my 20s when I was drinking, where it was just like, you know, I was drinking more, not, you know, it just, as you get older, progressively, parts start wearing out mentally, sure. too. your brain starts going to shit worse and worse as you get older. Um, and so for me, that's kind of, you know, I was, I was drinking pretty heavily with corrections. Um, I think anybody would, if they worked in corrections. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad. It was bad. I mean, I hated that fucking job. Well, you know, I was living paycheck to paycheck. I think I started off like $19 an hour. Um, and, uh, you know, I was making poor financial decisions when I was drinking. So, mm-hmm. of course, I was like getting myself into credit card debt and everything else. Well, you know, I had a couple of buddies that were overseas contractors and they were making six figures a year. I mean, these guys were making like 500 to $600 a day. Uh, so I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to do that. You know what I mean? Like I, again, still young, I was 23 years old. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to make enough money to just put a bunch of money away and then i'll figure out something else when i get get back home well it, it used it as a tool when i went back overseas i started you know i was sober of course couldn't drink overseas but i did notice myself being more like hyper vigilant and just like being kind of what's the word where i was like more worried about something happening to me like just paranoid I, doom and gloom i was like every time we left the wire or anything like that i was like fuck you know where's the next suicide bomb like i was obsessed over like getting hurt or dying i mean it was like to the point where i couldn't sleep i couldn't fall asleep and then when i did sleep i was like oversleeping i was like just being just just a total fucking mess and so um i was like dude i gotta get out of afghanistan i like all i could think about was drinking i was like i need to fucking get away from this shit like you know it was like hitting stressor points and stuff like that and i still didn't really understand what was happening at at that time but i got home and i started drinking again super heavily um every night i mean i was you know 15 20 beers every freaking night um hard liquor i got away from when i was like in the military so it was mostly just beer um but if i if i ranked out a beer i would i would dig into one i mean whatever had alcohol in it and i needed more i would drink it didn't matter what it was wine whatever it was but um at that time my police department was hiring so i was like well so that's when i became a cop and um again just work hard play hard i mean that's just how how it was and i didn't think you know, you would go to the suicides. I mean, we're, you know, I was working in a town of 70,000 people. So, I mean, um, we had the shootings, we had the homicides, we had, you know, suicides. I mean, a lot of big stuff happening. Um, And uh, I just remember, you know, with the amount of work that I put in, I was, you know, my work ethic where I was just kind of, I mean, it was work hard, play hard. I mean, that's just what it was. Um, And I was drinking heavily on my days off. And then, you know, um trying to control my drinking but i just noticed it progressively got worse and worse and that's when i started having panic attacks was later in my law enforcement career where i was actually one night i was typing a report and i thought i was having a heart attack i mean i started getting sweaty palms tingly everywhere my heart started racing sharp pain in the middle of my chest i was like i thought i was about to die i mean straight up 
Um, and I actually went to my sergeant. I was like, dude, something's wrong. I don't fucking know. And he's like, well, do you want an ambulance? And I was like, I guess, because I, I don't know what's wrong. Well, I went into this ambulance and EKG was fine and all that good, you know, all that stuff. And they told me, they were like, dude, I think you had like a panic attack. I'd never had one before. So I had no clue what a panic attack was. I didn't know the symptoms or how it felt like. Um, but all I knew is I was like, you know, I don't know what caused it. I don't know what the transition was. But ever since the first panic attack, then I started getting them daily. I mean, it was just like that, dude. It was like, something in my brain some type of wiring was just like it just a disconnect it's like a like a like a heavy freaking thunderstorm that goes through you know and knocks out the power something happened i don't know what the event was i don't know what the breaking point was but something happened to just fuck up the wiring in my brain um or maybe you know, um, when I had to go to a shrink through the department, it was just like, hey, you know, you may have just been filling all this stuff up in a in a cup right. and it's overflowing now. Sure. Which is what, what a lot of law enforcement officers do is that they think, oh, my God, I've, I've experienced all this stuff before. Why now? Why is it affecting me now? Well, it's because you filled the cylinder up with shit and now it's like it's done. Like it's, right. it's overflowing, like your brain just can't process, you know, can't process it normally anymore. So for me, that's, I think I was just at that tipping point. It was just that overflow point um, of where I was in my life. And then it started getting bad. And then I started drinking more and more to, to deal with that, you know, panic attacks, because when I was sober, I would feel it. You know, I'd feel the panic attack coming on and I would like rush to a liquor store and start drinking and then it would all go away. Sure. And that's when I knew it was more psychological than it was physical. You know, mm -hmm. but the weird thing about panic attacks, anxiety, PTSD is like it affects you physically, too. I mean, what's your feeling? Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? But it's confusing. Yeah, panic attacks are terrible. Oh, they're freaking absolutely horrible because, um, you know, I was getting them so bad that I'd have to go in my car my wife, now wife, girlfriend at the time, would have to drive me around town and I would sit there and just like have to focus on like the tire hitting the road. And I would just sit there and just like, you know what I mean? Like almost to the point of like falling asleep before it calmed down. Sure. Um, because once they hit, I mean, it was just like, there was no going back. It was like, yeah. I was in full panic mode, like yeah. imminent, like I'm in imminent danger. That's the best way I could describe it. Like when I was in Afghanistan, those big adrenaline dumps of just like fight response, you know, you got fight or flight response. It was just that huge dump of like your body. Like I would almost like, I would always explain it to like, Hey, this is what it feels like if you're about to die, like you're about to die. You know, it's just that huge dump of just like your body's on its last leg of survival and you know it, like, you right, know, right that your body's about to die. And that's what it felt like for me. And it was scary as shit, dude. Like it was fun. It was scary, man, because there was no, and then it started getting to the point to where like I was on the job. And then I was like, becoming like, you felt like a meth head, dude. Like you're like paranoid. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, sitting here looking around hypervigilant. You're just like, Oh my God, like is something bad going to happen right now? 
you know, then it wasn't just like, oh, I'm just working. And what are the chances of something bad happening? It was like, I was, we called it um, like, like basically combat scenarios going through your head constantly. I mean, it was at like, like not normal rapid rate to where, and then I'd work myself up too, where I was just like, holy shit. And I go home in my uniform, I'd go home for lunch and I'd be like, fuck dude. Like, I just don't even want to go back to work. Like I feel sick to my stomach. I'm nauseous. I'm just like, you know, I always felt like I was going to get into a shooting or something bad was going to happen. I mean, it was just crazy, dude. It was like, what's, what's the word I want? It's a lot like, of stress, it, man. It was, yeah, it was just so, but it was like almost irrational thinking, you know what I mean? But it wasn't irrational to me because I had been through those situations. Sure. You know what I mean? So it was very rational for me being through those situations, but it was an irrational from a, up from my perspective as my job because what are the chances of getting into shooting as a cop sure you know it's pretty you know i mean the chances are there but it's just like it's not an everyday like you're going out on patrol in afghanistan you know what i mean it wasn't right. that level of danger in you know in reality right depending on where you work i mean maybe like chicago that's different <laughs> yeah maybe but I mean, it, for me, that wasn't, you know, but for me, it was the, it was the reality. And so um, it just, it, it met with more drinking to cope with this type of stuff. And then it got to the point where it was affecting my work. I was calling in sick. You know, I wasn't, you know, I was calling sick because I was not sober for work, dude. Mm-hmm. I was not sober. So I was, I was sick, even though I was sick. I mean, but that's the reality of the situation is that it really started affecting my job. Um, even when I was sober, when you're drinking a lot of alcohol, even when you're sober, it starts affecting you mentally. Sure. Much slower. You're fucking forgetful of everything. Um, you know, of course I still deal with brain stuff now being for, you know, forgetful of stuff, but the older I got, the more, you know, just the heavier the addiction got, it was just a lot worse where it was like forgetting things in reports, I was forgetting my gun at the jail, you know, the lockbox for the jail. I was like fucking driving sure. around without my gun on. I yeah, yeah, that's super not good. dangerous stuff, but like mentally, I was just fucking checked out, dude. Yeah. Like I was mentally checked out. And um, so, real quick, do you guys, were you guys big enough for um, two man squads or were, did you drive around by yourself? No, no we were one man squads. Um, the only time we did two man squads is when we got in like an officer involved shooting. Okay. Um, and that's kind of sometimes when we run two man squads, the only time two man obviously is during PTO as a training officer gotcha. and then you have a rookie. Yeah. Whatever. I just didn't know if like, you know, you had, you had anybody directly next to you that was really kind of feeding off of what you were going through at all. No, but thinking about it, it probably would have been, I mean, it probably would have been more so of like a, nipped in the bud earlier of like hey dude something's wrong with tyler like he's forgetting he's forgetting shit on you know his reports he's like fucking just like fucking mind fucked i don't know Mm -hmm. what is you know what i mean but like it was a huge safety thing you know for me personally and then for other people around me you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. um but i didn't really realize how much it was affecting me you know just going through this just mental just mentally just fucked you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and like like i said you could be completely sober from alcohol 
But if you're abusing alcohol, you're getting those long-term effects of alcohol. For you sure. know what I mean? For sure. So you're getting that foggy brain. You're getting that those memory problems and stuff like that. And I started feeling that. And finally, it just kind of, I called in one night because I, I was working day shift. I knew I was going to be sober. It was 1.30 in the morning. I was still drinking. I was like, yeah, dude, I can't go to work. Like, I'm not going to be fucking in any. Sure. You know, as a law enforcement officer, I mean, you know, people say, oh, I had beers four hours ago. You ain't sober, dude. Like no. 10 beers in five hours. You're not sober. You know, mm-hmm. um, no matter what you think, there's only so much alcohol your body can process. And, you know, take time. time is the only thing that sobers you up. Yep. Water doesn't sober you up. Fucking <laughs> a shower doesn't sober you up. Time. Time mm-hmm. sober. And so for me, I got so good, dude, I calculated. I knew when I was going to blow zeros by the time I got to the police department. I would cut myself off drinking, knowing that, hey, I know it's going to take me. And I had a breathalyzer, so I knew. And I would tell myself during the weekends, I knew when I was going to get sober. Mm -hmm. I I knew when I was going to blow zeros. That's crazy. How crazy is that, dude? Yeah. And you think I'm the only cop that does that? bullshit right you know what i mean but that that is what i was doing and i knew when i would blow zeros and i knew when i wouldn't blow zeros and when i wouldn't blow zeros i'd fucking call in i'd be like i can't work i'm feeling sick and you know um it got worse and worse as it got because my alcoholism was was getting worse sure i stopped giving a shit I was like, oh, I'm not going to be sober. Hey, I'm sick. I didn't care about the guys on shift. You know, I didn't right. care about any of that shit. It was selfish mm-hmm. because alcoholism is very selfish. It's a very selfish addiction, just like any addiction. All you're thinking about is sure. yourself. You don't give a shit about your kids. I don't have kids, but you don't give a shit about your job. Like it becomes to the point to where there's a functioning alcoholic, right? Then there becomes that next stage of alcoholism where it's like the don't give a fuck stage. You know what I mean? Sure. Where you're just like, I don't give a shit. Which you know, that's where I, you get pretty pretty close to the dangerous part. Oh, yeah. Super dangerous. Um, and so I called in one night and I was like, hey, I can't come in. I've got personal issues. I need to take a personal day. Well, my sergeant called me. That was on night shift. And he's like, dude, what? The f- what? what do you mean personal? What's going on? He, like, he was the first supervisor, dude. And to notice. Actually, be like, what is wrong? I mean, it was fucking crazy. I was that good at hiding it, though. You know what I mean? Doing my job. I was coming to work sober. You know what I mean? I was blowing zeros when I got to work. So, I mean, I was doing my job. and uh, But just nobody, like, really was paying attention to the decline and just the work performance and just the forgetting shit. And just, like, I could see it. Now that I look back, I could see that. Uh, the degrade in work performance over the years um and so he finally just called me out he said what's going on i was drunk wasn't really thinking i was like dude i'm fucking fucked up (laughs) i'm like (laughs) not gonna be able to come to work in the morning and he's like i'm gonna be right over that's all he said he's like i'm gonna be right over he sat down in my living room and he's like, dude, what is going on? Like, there's like beer cans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, what's going on? I'm like, I'll be honest, man. I've got a drink. I mean, I just let it all 
I, I was like, there's no hiding it no more. You sure. can't hide it after that. I'm just yeah. like, I got a problem, man. I got a problem. Like, and I don't know what to do anymore about it. And he was like, dude, we're going to get this fixed. Like, he was like, I mean, and then it was like everything was in motion. The chief was involved, the assistant chief. We actually had a new peer support team that was developed to deal with situations like this with not just like after shootings or traumatic incidences, but, like, sure. you know, this type of stuff. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know it just as much as anybody else. Officer suicides are huge. I mean, they're mm-hmm. growing like... I mean, it's not unheard of for veteran suicide, just be right there with military suicides and firefighters. Sure. You know what I mean? Right. Just based on what you see on a normal basis is not normal. It's not normal to see and deal with those things. And that's what people don't get. It's like, oh, you think just because you passed a, a police written test and in an interview and you got hired, now you're qualified to just see all this shit? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, deal with this stuff. Like, it's not normal to to take a life. It's not normal to see a freaking teenager hanging from their closet. You know, those aren't normal things to see. Sure. And they're not supposed to be normal. And you're not supposed to just, like, pack it yeah, Whatever. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's fine. You know, I'm a cop. I'm a tough cop. It doesn't work like that, dude. You know, but the stigma, what's the stigma in law enforcement? Get over. It. I mean, you got those old school guys that are just like, oh, I'm tough. But deep inside, you know, it fucking uh, it impacts them. It For affects. Sure. And anybody that says going to a car accident and not seeing a dead person in the car doesn't affect them, you're full of shit. For you're sure. full. You don't bring that home. You don't think about that at the dinner table. Like, dude, that was horrible. That was horrible. I've been to motorcycle accidents, dude, where I'm like, I still think about them all the time. Just like, dude, ugh. like that image won't leave me for the rest of my life. Just like stuff in Afghanistan won't leave me for the rest of my life. So it's, it's normal to be affected by that stuff and be like, dude, that, that was kind of messed up, man. Like seeing a person like that, you know? And so for me, you know, the wheels started turning and it was like dude, two, three days later, I was out turkey hunting. Girlfriend called, hey, you need to come into town. We gotta have a talk. And I was like, oh shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not good. You know what I mean? Because at that point she knew that she knew that everything that was going on with the department yeah. and stuff like that. And um I had an intervention in my parents' living room there. The chief went there, the assistant chief super supportive dude my department was freaking awesome and they were like we've got a rehab facility it's you know it's a first responder one speaking of that if you know any first responders or anything like that i know a good facility where it's it's mostly also it wasn't like a facility where it's like a bunch of dudes you arrested sure right you know what i mean it's other cops first responders veterans there was doctors there, there was lawyers there. It was like, mm-hmm. really, it was a rehab for like prom, you know, those types of professionals, sure. you know, what I mean? to where it's like, discretion is important, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you weren't going to a rehab with, it's like, dude, with like eight DUIs, you right. know what I mean? For sure. um, so anyways, that's kind of, kind of, they. I was on a plane, dude, that in my last drink, was 
at the Salt Lake City Airport almost three years ago in April. That was the last time I touched alcohol. And um, here I am now, man. Yeah, to man. Make, I know I went on a ramp, but it's it's very complex. I mean, sure. people need to understand that, that it's not just like, oh, yeah, I was having anxiety, so I drank a lot. Well, I mean, there's reasons why we drink, why we do the things we do. Um, and I hope as as the years kind of go on that more departments don't put that stigma on their officers because there's lots of officers i've heard of departments where if they went to their department and said that they would probably look for a reason to fire them for sure Not a liability. but that's dude that's crazy because then you're pretty much telling officers well don't come to us with your fucking problems because we don't care yeah we'll just well yeah. Then, then your officers are keeping everything in and then they're still coming to work when they're not a hundred percent, you know what I mean? And I'm yeah. not saying, oh, they're not sober or anything, but they're just mentally checked out. They're mentally not there. Then you run into issues of officers making mistakes and then you run into, you know, uh, officers not being safe and not practicing safe traffic stops or safe, you know, just doing safe things. Sure. Because they're they're mentally just not there. They're not taking care of themselves. And so, if anybody should learn, I mean, we talk about departments. Is our department's been huge? Um, they've actually sent other officers to rehab since then, and uh, because they're not they're not that department that's going to sit there and ignore the problem. They're not going to well, sit there. That oh, doesn't happen. And I think that the times are changing. I think especially with social media, but. It's, mm, more specifically with guys like you um, that are being more open and talking about it. I think it's going to be a huge shift. And I think a lot of departments are going to start going to that more rehabilitation more than uh, just get rid of the problem and send it on down the road and Hey, good luck with your problem. Like hopefully you don't do something stupid, but whatever, you're not our problem now. Um, but guys like you that are sharing these stories that went from being that hardcore fucking Marine, like fuck your problems, fuck my problems just be a man and, and deal with this. I'll be in a pussy to where it's yeah. kind of full circle. Now you've gone through the struggles and you've overcome those struggles. And now you're talking about it. It's, it's guys like you that are really going to change um, law enforcement, first responders, veterans, all that stuff. It's people like you. So thank you for that. Well, thanks man. I, I mean, a hundred percent. And, and I tell those stories because I want, you know, we have police chiefs, that do business with us that follow us on social media police captains and stuff and i think it gives them a new insight too that hey don't be so quick to pull you know to judge or 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 you know say that you know because some of your best officers might be the ones struggling the most man For you sure. know yeah. um, and those are guys that um should feel welcome and should feel like open arms like hey if you need anything mental health wise. I mean, it, it went so far, our department, um, you know, they hired a department psychologist mm -hmm. for the employees. And it's like, dude, we want you to utilize this resource. Like, sure. You know, I think more as we kind of, like you said, as the future goes on, I think more and more people are realizing that, you know, this stuff is happening and we need to be able to fix the problem, not just push it down the road because you're going to keep having those problems because this is a tough job. Mm -hmm. Being a first responder is going to come with mental health issues and addiction issues. 
it's going to. And more people, alcoholics are the best people. I mean, dude, they can keep the best secrets. Oh, yeah. I have enforcement officers that have worked for 25 years and they've been alcoholics for every 25. And you would have never known, dude. You would have never known. Yeah. But I mean, that's where you have to kind of, you know, departments have to be smart about how they're assessing these situations and being able to be better at, you know, welcoming these guys that need help. Cause like I said, you know, the big stigma back in the day, you know, I'm saying back in the nineties, I would say more so was like nineties, eighties, seventies or whatever. If you got an alcohol issue, Oh, peace. See ya. Yeah, see ya. That's how it was. Um, and now, so that's not really how it's, how it's going down anymore, Yeah, which is good because like I said, man, I mean, we get, you know, a lot of first responders that, you know, contemplate suicide, divorce rates. I mean, look at divorce rates and first responders. It's massive. You know, do you think that's because these guys aren't being impacted that are not going through shit or going through alcohol addiction? Or like, that's all a contributing factor to all this dysfunction. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. all, sure. you know, and uh, the faster that we, you know, the more realization and the more open and accepting we can be to it, the better, because then you're going to actually do something about it, you For know, sure. just put off the problem. Yep. So, well, if you, uh, so take a second and talk about, obviously I'm looking at the post now. Uh, and the reason we brought this up was the healing old wounds. Um, talk about what you're doing with that. So that, that's the biggest, you know, I, <laughs> some days I just sit there and I'm like, you know, I, I need to connect to people like I need people to read something, know something and know that like, it's something that they can, you know, connect with because this business has not always been about, you know, oh, it's money. It's not about money. It's never been about money. I, I'm, 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 I'm fine making, you know, an average salary. I don't need to be rich. Like that's, I don't give a shit, you know? Sure people back here right now that are making a good hourly wage but i also want to connect with people that share the same you know things that i have gone through i mean you know a larger you know amount of our customer base are first responders are um veterans yep. and for me healing old wounds was really i've wanted to kind of compile this for a long time and just put it on word form and just say you know what somebody out here needs this mm -hmm. you know what i mean and it's easier for me to talk about now because i'm i am out of law enforcement and i'm just you know not that i was afraid of talking about it when i was sober when i was a, a police officer but it's just easier for me now to say hey this is all my bullshit right i mean and um you know this is going to help somebody and i want you know, somebody else to know that, you know, there are ways of dealing with these problems to heal the the traumas you've been through, the things you've seen. Um, and this is how I struggled. And it took me a very, very long time to figure it out and actually get, you know, help myself and get better. Sure. Um, because there's a law, you know, I had, you know, there's a lot of law enforcement officers that just sit here and they're like, there's no hope. There's no hope, you know what I mean? But there is hope. There is ways of getting better. And there are ways to where you can stay in law enforcement and be better. You know, 
kind of fix yourself of what you've gone through. Um, you know, like I said, I could go back to law enforcement tomorrow if I wanted to and feel like I have mentally, I can handle that profession better than three years ago. Sure. hundred percent, three, four years ago. So how long did you remain a cop after you got sober? A year. Okay. Was it was it just um, you saw this venture with with the uh, TNK that you decided to? That's the only reason I I kind of really got out of it because it was it was kind of one or two things. So it was get out of law enforcement and kind of start my own business, um, or you know keep in law enforcement. This business not going to really grow because sure. you know I'm, I'm working full time as a cop. You can't yeah. work at a full time as a cop and then expect this business to turn into a well-oiled machine it's one of the um so for me that was a big part of it i think another big part of it was um i was mixing i was like um doing some different medications i was on fluoxetine which is like prozac for a while it wasn't really working for me so i was still getting some anxiety and stuff on the job Mm -hmm. but now i switched to a different medication i know 100 percent that you know if i if I had to work law enforcement for the rest of my life. I could do it. Sure. You know what I mean? It was just finding the proper medication, um, which there are lots of first responders on anxiety and depression med- mm-hmm. medication. So that is another big stigma to where people are like, well, I can't go on that stuff. I'll lose my job. Bullshit. Right. Um, I can't tell you how many cops I've talked to all over the country that are on anxiety and depression meds. And um, it's just, you know, that's part part of what may need to happen. You know what I mean? Sure. If you quit alcohol and you need medications to, to to not have anxiety, depression, all that stuff, then fucking go on them. Yes. Go on them. Medications. If you had cancer, would you not would you not go on medications to help treat your cancer? Sure. You know what I mean? Right. I, it's just you know, it's the same concept, dude. You know, so I mean, that's, that's kind of the same thing where guys have to realize, okay, I have a problem psychologically. I need to do something. And a lot of that is hundred percent discretionary. It's not like you're on like narcotics or anything like that. There's hardly any symptoms to these medications that I'm on and it helps me immensely, dude. Sure. I mean, if I'm on these medications, oh dude, I'd be back drinking hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. You know, and I think about it a lot of time because I hate taking medications or I'm like, Man, if I were to, I you know, can I eventually get off these things? I don't know if that's ever a reality. You know what I mean? Um, anxiety, depression, you're never going to treat it. Well, you can treat it. You're never going to cure it. Sure. Treat the symptoms, you know, but there's no cure. There's right. no cure. I mean, once you're kind of, once you have PTSD, I mean, it's hard to not have PTSD. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just doesn't work that way. You just, you treat the symptoms and, and you do things to, to be mentally better, you know, whether that's picking up a hobby, hunting, making gear, freaking whittling a piece of wood and making a duck call, whatever it is, you know, you've got to find that on your off time as a cop, instead of, or a firefighter or veteran or whatever it is, instead of drinking, you've got to find ways to occupy, occupy your time and your mental health in a, in a, in a healthy way, a positive way. Yeah. For in sure. a positive, healthy way. And I think a lot of cops don't do that, you know, or not a lot, but I'd say some, sure. you know, some that don't do that. They go home and they drink. Right. You know, where they, you know, 
or whatever. I mean, they're doing it in unhealthy ways. And, and, uh, but I think, you know, that's helped me. I mean, sobriety, making that choice sober is a hundred percent why I'm here. That was the first, um, you can't do anything unless you're sober. And if you've got an alcohol problem, you shouldn't be drinking at all. But, um, that's the first step is like, okay, I need to stop self-destructing, you know? And that's taking away alcohol because once I took away alcohol, all my problems in life, dude, seem to fucking leave. You know what I mean? Um, right. Just, just a lot of my problems just disappeared, you know, awesome. because self-destructing, I mean, that's what it was. So, yeah. you know, that's the first thing, but it is definitely, I would feel comfortable going back into law enforcement right now at this moment. Now that, I've been on the right path. I'm on the right medication. I do things that are mentally healthy for me. I'd have no problem, you know, doing it. That's awesome. And so I do have a, I got a question about the whole uh, treatment part. So yep. we talked earlier about how just times are changing. Um, yep. So something that big has happened in the recent past. And I know, again, I'm trying to be conscious of your time. I know we we're, we're going quite a ways, well, but um, I do want to, I want to ask you about this. Um, <clears throat> so we're seeing how cannabis has started to change throughout in, uh, all of America and has become now legal in most states. Um, how do you feel about police officers being able to use cannabis? Does it alter your mental state? Yeah. To what degree? Oh, I, I assume what, it does. I guess. Like, I'm not a doctor. My right. opinion is, if it is scientifically, we can prove that it's just like any other medication you can take it and not, it does not affect your ability to do your job, then fuck it. Why not? Right. Yeah. So actually, um, right behind me, there's a book up there. Yeah. Um, he was a Lieutenant whenever I started at the police department and he, he's like six foot four and he fought a little bit of MMA. So he had back problems, um, Mm -hmm. just from that stuff, but he, he also had a couple, um, falls on the job and long story short he went out on disability and he david vanderport's his name he uh he got really bad into the pills because they couldn't do anything they, they, he had had surgeries um, they couldn't do anything to fix it anymore and he was basically just a zombie and was still in pain um so it was one of those points where he was to the point and he's been on the podcast a couple times and he talks yeah. about he was to the point he was ready to commit suicide um and then he decided, fuck it, why not? I'm going to try cannabis. Same dude that was a, a fucking awesome cop, probably put a lot of people in jail, maybe prison for cannabis because it was looked that different in his day, is now yeah. saying, fuck it, I'm going to try it. And he now runs um, uh, his Instagram as the cannabis cop. I think he's on Twitter as well. Um, mm-hmm. He's always on there smoking weed. It's completely changed his life. He's like, I never saw him out of his house whenever he's going through his struggles. Now I see him out and about. He's an, he's a father again. He's a human being again. He can get off the couch. So cannabis has one thousand percent changed his life, and I think it could change a lot of people's lives. Oh, hundred percent. And I think the st- I think the stigma of weed um, is going away, and I think it should because not. It's so funny that our priorities are messed up. And I mean, you can argue it all you want, but how much are prescription painkillers killing people compared to, to weed? Oh, it's crazy. I mean, fucking come on. You know, we talk about um, 
you know, it, weed doesn't even hold a light. And we're talking things that are fucking legal. Yep. That are literally killing people. People are overdosing. Heroin is the same thing as a fucking narcotic. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a prescription, you know, just like a painkiller, man. Yeah. You know, it, it is same type of thing. And uh, it's killing tons of people. And we're sitting here as a, as a, as a human beings and saying, well, you know, um, and like I said, as long as it's not affecting your mental state, um, I know there's cannabis and pill form that you can take that help with pain that don't alter your state at all. You don't feel, you don't feel giggly and eating a bunch of food. Uh Like it's used for medicine purposes, right? Yep. Well then why not? That's I'm telling you, it's, it's coming soon smoke freaking weed and be high behind a fucking patrol car right i I would even say that for people smoking weed and being high behind a car could just be as damaging as dangerous as being drunk you know yeah because it's altering your state for sure But you're not if it's not altering your state you just take it it's fixing your pain but you feel like a normal person then then if we're not allowing that then we're stupid as a human well, and I think it, I think it's going to have a huge effect on anxiety as well. So that's what's kind of one hundred percent. I mean, there's a lot of veterans that have, um, you know, that you know, smoke weed or what, you know, whatever that is to to help with that. And and like I said, you know, cannabis is different from the THC part of marijuana. And, you know what I mean? It's different things because now, you know, but but I I would say you know if it's in pill form, like I said, that is something to get behind. If it's like medicine wise. Um, you know, if it's going to help me more than any other medication, well, you know, I don't, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, you know, are you going to do something that's not for recreational use? It's more so for treating symptoms of a a mental or a physical disorder than, you know, uh, it's coming, man. It's coming. It's, it's about to happen. I'm telling you. And it should because it's stupid not to, to be honest with you. I don't know why states are so resilient. You're going to tax the fuck out of it anyway. So who cares? Well, and that that was the thing, man. They're making so much money on prescription pills. Then, you know, now they figured out a way to make money off cannabis. So now you're seeing all the governments going towards it. Big Pharma. Big Pharma has been killing millions of people for fucking the past decades. Legally murdering people. Le- legally killing people and we're worried about fucking cannabis get out of here uh happy hungry and sleepy that's about all you get oh yeah yeah seriously i think it's stupid i think you know back when i was a cop when when weed was illegal um i'll be honest you know how many times i freaking got a little baggy of freaking you know kids are freaking driving around fucking throw that shit into the creek get the fuck out of here <laughs> care you know what i mean yeah it's not it's not what it was i mean it's not sure but but even then i just was so i mean we used it a lot sorry guys to get into vehicles oh absolutely we still do still do you know it was huge to us to get into vehicles and more times than not you wouldn't find just weed you find methamphetamines and everything because your your recreational users um you know, drug abusers are, they're probably using more than just weed. Yep. I mean, they're using weed as a taper, you know what I mean? And then they're to chill them out after maybe taking like some high, high dose freaking methamphetamines and shit. Yeah. yeah we see uh, it all the time or they, we call it go away weed where they're like, 
yeah, I got weed here. And then hope that you're like, okay, that's all they have. I'm content. Why would he not tell me he has meth in his pocket if he told me he had weed? So, you know, and some, and some guys, and I've been that guy before I'm like, Oh, Hey, cool. Like this is all he's got. And then I let him go. And it's like, that was my way into the car. What am I doing? And then I learned, I I got better, but that's how I found a lot of meth for sure. Guns. I found lots of illegal guns being held by felons doing, um, and like I said, but I mean, that's going to be huge now is if they legalize that stuff, that is going to be huge to where you can't get into a car now. Um, uh, not yet. Not yet. Cause there's still but, regulations on how you transport it. That's true. Um, so if you have that regulation, if you can't, let's say they legalize it and they're like, Hey, you can't have weed in a car. You can't right. have it. You know, it's gotta be in a sealed container, yep. sealed pouch for home use. Yep. So if it's in your car, it's free game. We can get into your car. And that's probably what they're going to end up doing. That's how it is here. What is that? Carol Doctrine, right? What's that? Carol Doctrine, isn't that? Uh, I don't know. Weed and you can get in. Uh, probably know more than me. I think it's like Doctrine. But but if you smell, I mean, yes. they keep that a lot to where it's like, because that would, uh, that would, that would, you'd be letting lots of bad guys go. Yeah, it, it still is because like you said, it has to be, especially, or sorry, at least in Illinois, it's that way because if you, you can smell it, then it's obviously not in a sealed container and you have to have it in a sealed container. So canine specifically, a lot of, they're, they're not training a lot of dogs now on cannabis because of these new things, but mine still is, and they're still holding, um, holding it accountable because there's still those restrictions. So we're still good on it. There was still so. and then, plus marijuana has such a distinct smell that you're never oh, yeah if it's not in a sealed container even just people don't even realize just a little bit of amount you can smell it dude it fucking even with works. covid i could smell it oh yeah it's fucking bad <laughs> so i mean yeah i'm one of those guys I, I i'm a i'm a new generation guy where i'm like we need to be doing things that make sense not just yeah. not doing it because we didn't do it 20 years ago um, there's a lot of things that are happening that I don't agree with. We're not going to get into that. Um, that are not drug related. You know, the woke bullshit that I'm oh, like, man. we we don't need this. I'm all for evolution and, and making things better as far as like marijuana and stuff. But like, you know, like all these different people using the same bathroom and shit. I don't, you know, those are things that we can just keep as they are. You know, we don't need to get too crazy with things. <clears throat> you know sure um but yeah there are some things that make sense to be changed versus what we've done um in the past and i think that's definitely one of them um and uh you know because they're still putting restrictions on nurses doctors and stuff um police officers in colorado weed's legal but you can't use marijuana as a cop right you know and um, but like I said, there's a difference between recreational, you're using it to get, you know, you're using it as to get some type of mental fulfillment because you're a di- you know, you need mind altering substances, whether it's alcohol or drugs mm-hmm. and there's, and then using it for back pain or sure. using anxiety. There's two different concepts there. Yep. It is. It's, it's coming though. I'm telling you, it's going to be, it's going to be cops are going to be able to use it. So, um, yeah that that's one thing that that changes good i think for for mental health for sure um and again <clears throat> guys like you tyler that are that are you know um speaking about it now you're you're starting the blog 
I think that's going to be huge. Uh, but just getting stories out there and letting people know that it is okay to reach out. Um, you probably didn't think it was okay to reach out to anybody or did, you didn't definitely didn't want to um, oh, yeah. your sergeant. Yeah. You just thought there was big stigmas, but I tell you, anybody struggling, you'd be surprised how supportive department coworkers would be. Um, um, because the biggest thing is admitting that you need help. And I think that takes more maturity um, than anything else, For you sure. know, more maturity, both career wise and just personally wise. And uh, it, it, you'll get more credibility and more support if you reach out and do that than making a mistake or doing something very, very bad. Yeah. Of your um, addiction, and then, and then trying to hide it, and and then trying excuses. To, yeah, not going to get any support. No, um, you'd rather be on the end of of getting support. And if they don't support you, if you want help, and you're reaching out for help, then um, for one, they shouldn't be in a leadership role in any type of um, sure. capacity um, because they're just ignorant fucking idiots. To be honest with you, so. Yeah, for any any yes. leadership, law enforcement, or 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 the military, or whatever. If if um, yeah, that's just if you were to turn your back on your guys or not be a hundred percent supportive of getting them mental help, you know, mental help or or whatever, then you don't belong in that position. Hundred percent. Yep. Well, Tyler, um, I'm not going to take any more of your time, brother. Um, again, I appreciate you, you jumping on here. I know it was always a scramble. We were talking for a couple of days when to, when to get it done. And you're obviously a busy ass dude. We didn't even get into the new products that are coming out, but nope. um, where can people find you to, to learn all about that? Um, well, social media, you can just search us on Facebook or Instagram, T and K hunting, and then T A N D K hunting.com. And uh, we're always, we're always making new stuff. So I appreciate yeah. you having me. Anytime. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get you on here in the future as, as our, uh, this friendship grows a little bit, you know, I appreciate everything you've done for me. Um, even specific, even here's another thing to go towards like your business. Um, I bought a collar and like a, the dog collar and like two days later you came out that you're putting Cobra buckles on the collars. And I'm like, damn, I would have totally went with the Cobra buckle. So I messaged you directly and you're like, I got it. Don't worry about it. And then, you know, shortly later, there was my, my new collar with Cobra buckle. So Speak out. <laughs> speaks volumes for who for who you are as a person and that's you know it's that's a huge part of why your your business is is just blowing up so again thank you for taking the time to jump on this top tier podcast um this is going to change your life i promise you um <laughs> we'll see i guess so um yep go follow tyler tnk hunting um on the social medias buy a shit I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have him on here and I wouldn't be talking about his products if I didn't actually believe him. Um, I mean, hell, there's the bow sling right there and right underneath it's the bino harness. I mean, it's, it, I believe in it. I'm using it. I wear the shit out of it and it's still, still keeping me uh, happy and it's still rocking. So um, go, go get his products. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So Tyler, again, appreciate it. Thanks, man. Yep, anytime. Blue tail bow hunters, we be out. Shit. I'm hitting the wrong shit. I hit start, start <laughs> video. There we go. Stop recording. Okay.